All right, what's up, college baseball fans? We have a very special guest that we are, I don't know how we landed this, but we are very excited to welcome on the voice <laughs> of college baseball. Is it okay to call you the voice of college baseball? Someone that everybody uh, recognizes, Kyle Peterson. Ever heard of him? <laughs> Thanks for yeah, joining us. I, I believe me, uh, through 18 years of this, I've been called plenty of things, and, <laughs> and most of them are not that nice. So you can call I, me whatever you want. I've seen some replies on your Twitter account. People yes. sometimes, uh, they don't agree 100% with what you have to say. But just like being at the age, I'm 25 now, and I still remember watching College World Series from like 2004, 2005. Like watching those, I'm from Houston, Texas. So like watching the Rice Owls and Texas Longhorns in the College World Series and like seeing you and like hearing you on those broadcasts. And like now I'm face to face with you over Zoom. So <laughs> that's cool to me. Uh, I know Dimitri's the same way because we're about the same age, but man, it's good to have you. It is good to have you. I'm glad we got a chance to, to meet up and interview. So um, obviously we were talking before the show a little bit and uh, we got to know a little bit more about you because there's a lot of like uncertainties. Like I feel like you come broadcast college baseball games talk about it and then like we don't hear from you in the offseason so we were just kind of curious about what you did in the offseason and kind of how you got to the position you're at but um, you're, you're kind of dominating the college college baseball world right now is that fair to say That's well fair. no I mean I, I I mean hopefully we all are which is a good thing I mean I think it just means it brings more eyes to it it's funny there's buddies of mine whether they're at ESPN or not ESPN or like what the hell do you do for 50 weeks out of the year because I mean, what gets the most eyes is obviously the college world series. And I don't know, it was three or four years ago, whatever it was Dave Portnoy, who I've never met, but I, his run in the business has been insane. Sent something out during the college world series. And is like, it's, you know, ESPN lets Kyle Peterson out of their closet for 10 days during the course <laughs> of the season. And that's, I think to a lot of people, that's the way it looks. It was totally fine. It's, it's been a, it's been a really fun, interesting 18-year run, and yeah. some people think I'm in a closet for 50 weeks. I don't have much of an issue with that. You've been quarantining like 50 weeks out of the season right. for the last 18 yeah, years. I'm safe. There's nothing wrong with being safe. <laughs> but that's cool. But um, So obviously, you know, not a lot of people know this, but you're from Omaha. And so like growing up as a kid, was the College World Series like the most meaningful thing to you? And like I'm sure you went to quite a few growing up. Was that like your yeah. dream spot, like the place you kind of thrive the most? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, we have a triple-A team in Omaha, but obviously no big league team. And so when I grew up, and I'm a hell of a lot older than you guys, but mm -hmm. um, I mean, when I grew up, it was, you could watch the Mets on WOR, you could watch the <clears throat> Cubs on WGN, or you could watch the Braves on TBS. And that was it from a I mean, regular standpoint. And my dad like was a Braves fan from years ago. So we watched the Braves and they sucked. I mean, that was when the Braves were really bad, but we didn't have a major league team. And, and so what we had and what it really was every year is during the college world series. I mean, from the time you were tiny, tiny, um, that was your baseball. And you may go to a few Omaha Royals games a year and things like that. But, but as you grew up as, you know, the field was selected and everything. You go to the hat stores and everything around town and you got eight different hats to pick from. And every year it was this yep. big thing, like which hat are you going to pick? And <laughs> my favorite one, which is gone now, but was when the Citadel made it. And I think it was like 90, 1990, I think. Yeah, something like that. And like the Citadel had the coolest hat in the world. Mm -hmm. But you would every year that was the gig. Like whoever would make it, you would get the hat or the. the what year did Citadel make it? 
I think it was 1990. 90? Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah. Because it was, it was like late 80s, early 90s. Because yeah. I'm, if I remember correctly, East Tennessee State head coach, who is not, I think he is now a Citadel. They have a whole family because Tony Skull, I don't know if you remember that name from Georgia Tech. Yeah. yeah. Their whole family, they're all like cousins. And they're, they, and was he on that Citadel team? I don't remember. I don't remember. I may, there may be a program buried somewhere in my parents' basement that has the <laughs> Citadel on it. With. Because, yeah, Ben, that, speaking of Citadel, Matt Skull, Jake Skull all went to Georgia Tech. They went and played pro ball. Tony Skull with the East Tennessee State. And then it was like a huge family of just all over the place, like college baseball wide. Well, and what I found out later, which obviously we would have never known then, but I mean, Dan McDonald, who's the head coach at Louisville, was a Citadel guy. Yeah. Chris Lamonis, who's the head coach at yeah. Mississippi State, was a Citadel guy. Yeah. And, Clemson's and that's head kind coach of what too. started their whole run when they were there. And I think they both coached there for some short period of time before they went on. But anyway, it was every year, whoever was here. And it was, I mean, that time of year, like Texas was here every year and Stanford was here every year. I mean, it was always the, which I guess is no different now. But the, I mean, the gig was you pick, and it may be the same team, but you kind of pick your team every year and you go, you go get your gear and, and that's your club, and, and that's the way I grew up, and that's the way me and my buddies grew up, and it was yeah. kind of a cool way to grow I, up. I think Omaha is still – oh, wait, go ahead, Dimitri. What are you going to say? I was just going to say, it's like your two-week season of your fa- yeah. picking your favorite team. Yeah. And, and you always see, like, the, the, the citizens of Omaha, as you call it. Um, they, every year they seem to, like, kind of adopt one team, like one of the eight – Usually the underdog, like we saw in 2006 with yeah. Coastal Carolina. I mean, we've seen it a few other times with some like smaller schools. And I think that's always cool because, you know, you always do see those like Texas teams and Cal State Fullerton, Stanford. Uh, and then nowadays, all the SEC teams that are there every year. But, you know, it's cool to see game, like, teams like Washington, who made it a few years ago, or Santa Barbara back in 2016. Um, those, those are the teams I think the city like really rallies behind every year. And I was the same way growing up, always trying to pick my favorite team. The underdog was always, you know, who I was picking. But that was usually the one because you couldn't, you know, if it's Texas, like you can always go find Texas gear every year. And Walmart Texas yep. gear every year. But when it was somebody that was different, especially somebody if they had a cool hat or a cool logo or whatever it was, then that was, I mean, that was the gear. Like that, mm-hmm. that's what you had to have that year. And, and it also... I mean, I think, you know, the basketball tournaments, football is different because it, it just seems like it's always a power teams, but basketball is like that. I mean, when Loyola Chicago was in the final four a few years ago, like, I mean, that was the biggest thing in the world. And it, it it's, there is a, there's a huge, I don't know, like cool American sports component to when you're a, in a big event like that, a team that, Maybe the, the, like three weeks ago, you never thought would have a chance, but now they got a chance to win the whole thing. And and you're right. The, generally, this city, and I think any city that would I mean, host something like that, usually gets behind that team. I mean, yeah, like the Kent States and the Coastals and um, Stony Brook. Like you, yeah. you gravitate you gravitate towards those teams because the story that come out of those teams are always more entertaining. I mean, even if you're sitting in the booth reading your notes and like you're doing your side interviews for your broadcast, you know, to give the listeners or the audience a background, you're, you're more, I'm sure you're more excited sharing Stony Brook's story. And that's what I was going to ask you. Like when you're, when you're covering like a college game or a big league game, which one do you feel more like a part of, like, which one do you feel more into? Yeah. I mean, I, I, like, I love, 
and, and a lot of it is just growing up here, but I love the college game. And honestly, like my, my favorite baseball experiences personally, were all playing the college game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the professional side, I mean, you know, I was in the big leagues a little bit, but not very much. I didn't have a whole lot of success there, but um, the, the, the good, the, my best memories of, of playing the game or at that level. And my, I would say for the most part, my favorite memories from watching the game were at that level. So that's the one that has always sticked out the most to me. And, and I, I've, you know, like I remember when, when Wichita State got beat, and I mean, whatever year Creighton was there. So I want to say 90 or 91, it was one of those years. Um, like I got Jim Audley's hat afterwards because we'd always go stand by the bus and it's a little bit different now because i mean it's shorter sure, yeah. but you go stand by the bus when somebody got beat and you, like you're hoping to get some level of gear one year i got some guy's cup like i don't even remember who it was. <laughs> but at that point you're like i don't care i got something that's you got, right. something. I got something that's right hey can you sign you this to, for me <laughs> yeah exactly i mean you get a shoe one year you get a hat one year or whatever it is and but that was i mean for the kids at, at that that time when you were growing up here, that's what you did. If, if you were a baseball fan and if I didn't have a game, I was at those games that that's like, there was no other place you wanted to be. Did your whole team, did you guys have like team events when you like your summer ball team that you were playing on? You guys all went as the team, right? To Omaha to the, to the um, college. No, I don't remember if we did or not. I don't, we, we may have, I mean, I, I, I was fortunate because like before it actually got to be a really big event. Um, my, my dad's parents had tickets to it when anybody could get tickets to it. So we always had really good tickets. And so we always went, um, I don't know that, I don't remember ever going as a, like as a high school team or anything like that. I mean, everybody I, still had their favorites. That's for damn sure. But um, yeah. I don't remember ever going as a group. Because I remember when I went in 2019, I think it was, I swear, we were, we were walking up and there was like four wow. busloads of teams in full uniform. And it just reminded me of like when I was a kid going to, you know, a Georgia Tech game, full uniform, brave game. And I was just like, oh, my God, like this, this is the dream for those kids. And I'm just kind of walking up to go catch a ball game real quick. And it changed like now there's two huge youth event or youth tournaments that happen at the same time which is awesome, honestly, for the growth of the college game. Cause these kids come in from all around the country and they come in to play in a tournament, but they're here when the series yep. is going on. And so obviously they're going to go to games and be around some of these programs and maybe go to practices and things like that. That wasn't necessarily the case then. I mean, you guys got to realize I'm 44 years old. I mean, this is a while ago. So it, the, the youth baseball landscape has changed a fair amount in the oh last 30 God. years. Um, but now, yeah, I mean, you do see that. Like when you go to the GA line, you'll see teams lined up in full uni, Yeah, which is really cool so when you're funny. driving it's by so to, to go do a game and you see like teams that are sitting there waiting to go to a game. It's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, no, that's really cool. And, and I'm glad you shared that with us. Now I have a little rapid fire questions, like three questions for you right cool. now that I'm just super curious about. Uh, <laughs> I'm finally not nervous anymore. I'll be honest. I was nervous at the beginning of this, of this call. Oh, Mike. <laughs> it's weird, man. It's just weird seeing him like face to face. But anyways, um, do you get recognized in public? Like if you go out, like let's say outside of Omaha, if you're just walking down the street of, you know, such and such city, 
people say, oh my God, that's Kyle Peterson, or do you kind of fly under the radar? No, not very. I mean, every like once in a blue moon time, sometimes, but not, not very often. We were, it was actually funny. Berkey and I were in, in uh, Starkville, well, before the season last year, before everything got shut down, we were doing some preseason stuff and we flew in to do, I mean, just some throw BP and stuff like that with Mississippi State. And we just went to grab dinner and a beer at a place where we were watching basketball game. And there were these four or five frat guys that came by that started, I don't know how they saw us, but they started beating on the window. And Mississippi State's a different world, oh, right? Yeah. Like that, I mean, <laughs> baseball is, I mean, that's king down there. And they ended up coming in and, and both of us kind of looked at each other and were like, this is actually kind of cool. I mean, they, <laughs> they actually know who we are yeah. now, most of the time, which is great. Um, no, it's, it's, you just kind of hang out. For sure. Okay. And the second question I have, uh, what's the favorite, like your favorite game or maybe most memorable game you've ever called like on TV? I'm sure, I mean, you've done dozens and, and probably close to a hundred college world series games. There's gotta there, be one that stands out. Was there one that you would just, like, you would trade right now to go back in that same place at same time? Um, I'd say the one that stands out the most was the last game at Rosenblatt. I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> When Witt got the hit down the right field line, I didn't realize till later that, that Trevor Bauer was warming up in the UCLA bullpen. He was getting hot fast, too, in the bullpen. <laughs> he was. He was. Um, and I think he pitched that, maybe the day before or two days before or something like yeah, that. Yeah, knowing Trevor, it could have been the hour before. But um, it was just like that place. I mean, you guys got to realize, I, I want to um, – I mean, our high school tournament was at Rosenblatt. So – I mean, we won state when I was a junior. I got my ass handed to me as a senior, and we lost that year. But, uh, like, that ballpark had so many different memories. Yeah. And when you finally realize this is the last one, and that's the way that it ends, um, and, I, you know, Mike Patrick's on the call, and I'm in the dugout, and everybody goes crazy, and, and then they finally turn the lights out that night. And there's, I mean, I've been, like, super fortunate to see a lot of incredible games, but – for, I don't know. I mean, just like growing up here in emotional reasons, that's probably the one that sticks out the most. Yeah. Very last game at Omaha. And it was, I mean, you couldn't beat it either. Like just, it yeah. felt like it was scripted from the beginning. Just yeah. walk off win. everybody celebrates fireworks going off. I still remember watching that game. I was like maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school at that time thinking, man, I want to play there one day and never got a chance to, but I definitely think that's a great choice for your answer. Um, Last question that I have for you, and then we'll just talk a, lot, uh, talk a little bit more. But obviously, college baseball, the popularity has been going nuts lately, especially over the last two, three, four years. You get more MLB guys getting invested in it because of, like, prospect mm -hmm. reasons and, and all of that. But what is something that, like, Kyle Peterson, if you were the mayor of college baseball, what's something you want to see to kind of help that growth go by a little bit quicker? Anything that comes off the top of the head to you? Well, I'd like more scholarships. Sure. <laughs> that's a good start. Hey, that's where we get our <laughs> podcast name from. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm aware. And I it wasn't because of that, but that I think it's also, it's not as easy as that. And obviously there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of programs and athletic departments that can absorb that cost. And it, it's not, you know, it's not really a real cost to them. There's also plenty of others that it, it would be a real cost. There's plenty of division one programs that we all know that are not, fully funded. I mean, that's, that's the way the game works. Um, 
So I say that knowing that if that's the case, it may create a little bit more of, of separation. But the point of me saying it is the more kids that we can get in the college system that are playing college baseball, I think long-term is better for the game. So that would be the first thing. The second thing, and maybe one and one A would be the third assistant getting paid. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I, I think it's a travesty that, listen, it, I, any law that says to me from an athletic standpoint that you can't do something that you're willing to do as far as paying someone else that ultimately is going to make your team better, I have an issue with. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't uh, yeah. mean that everybody has to do it. That's fine. Like, you don't need to institute something that says everyone has to pay a third assistant. Leave it up to every school. But... What I don't like is when you tell those that have the um, the desire to do it, and also have the financial ability to do it, that you can't do it. I think that's detrimental to our sport. So th- those would be the two things that stick out the most. Do you think? Do you think the third page? Like, one hundred percent agree with you. Like, if some small school in the conference, let's say, a con- like Conference USA or American Athletic. The top to bottom are the big difference between your top team and your bottom team. So if the top team is voting with the SEC, the ACs, hey, we want to do this, but the bottom team is like, no, we cannot do this. Do you think that, like you said about the whole separation thing, there might be, it might be, I don't think a third paid assistant is going to dramatically change the landscape or the dynamics of a conference or or even college baseball as a whole. So I think what I was going to ask you was like, do you think, it would there would be a negative effect on it, even though we it would be super positive. Well, I mean, if if negative is that it it allows programs that can pay for it to have a greater advantage, then yes, I think that's probably fair. I don't look at that as negative. I think that whatever the hell you do, whether it's business, sports, life, it's a competitive environment. And if everybody is given the ability to compete on the same level, you can choose whether or not you want to compete at that level or not. That's entirely up to you. What I don't like in general is somebody telling you that, that I understand that you have the money and the ability and the desire to do something, but you can't do that. I got an issue with that. That, that just doesn't, that doesn't seem like the best way to move forward in what no, we're I, doing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we're, whether it's college baseball competing with professional baseball or college baseball competing with, with other sports in general, you're competing for these kids to get to that level. And I, to me, it makes a lot more sense for the, for the strength of our game as a whole to give more kids the opportunity to play at that level. I, I, I think it's pretty basic. For sure. Um, no, I, I definitely agree with both of those points right there. <laughs> Uh, now I'm kind of I'm gonna put you on the spot on this these last couple of questions here. Give us a give us a Golden Spikes winner for this year. Just what you think is gonna play out the rest of the year. Give us a College World Series champion and give us a team that maybe people are kind of sleeping on right now. Maybe they haven't hit their stride yet, but just a super talented team that you think can end up in Omaha. Maybe a mid major team, for example. Okay. So I, I know that's a lot of information at once. No, that's fine. Take your time. Okay. So Golden Spikes. I'll allow you to pick either one, quite honestly. And I know that there's like Chris Burke, who's one of my closest friends in the world, would throw things at me for this, but pitchers can also be Golden Spikes Award winners. Uh, I've seen it done a lot. <laughs> I think I think I think pitchers is so difficult for them to win the Golden Spikes. I've told Ben this a hundred times. 
it, it I mean, like, for example, Kuma, I think it's so hard for him to beat a guy that's playing every day. And that's just my opinion. But when he's the best player in the game, it makes it pretty easy to. Uh... Okay. So, so <clears throat> I would agree with you. I think it makes it different, but l- let me, let me make this argument to where when you go look and not just this weekend, but many weekends, if you're Vanderbilt and you go into a weekend series and you've got Kumar and Leiter going one, two, you have a massive advantage over essentially anyone in the country. And that goes for the rest of the season too. It, it, it doesn't. I mean, rest of the season, postseason, mm-hmm. as he like it doesn't matter. I mean, think go. about a super regional getting matched up with Vanderbilt right. in a super regional. I mean, you're, you're toast. You want those two cats <laughs> going one two? Like, pick whoever you want one. Pick whoever you want two. So, if I were to pick somebody, the way that I look at it now, I'd probably lean to one of those two guys. Admittedly, that was the position I played. However, I also think they're a little bit different than most. Mm-hmm. Um, to my knowledge, you guys may know this. <clears throat> I've looked, but I haven't found the answer. I don't think any schools had guys that go one, two in the draft. Same school. Mm. They got a chance to go one, two in the draft. Like I that, think they that, should. That I think that, that, that resets the narrative a little bit. You, um, I was going to interject. Get, what were the other two things? You, there was two other, like that's a really loaded yeah. <laughs> question. question. Um, let me, I, I was going to interject. Do you think UCLA is the closest thing with Bauer and Garrett Cole to what Kumar yeah. and Leiter are doing? I think that's the closest. Were they won four, something like that. Yeah, so they were in maybe, top six. They were in the top six picks, I think. I think it might have been one three, to be honest, because I think Danny Holson from Virginia went two between them, but it was either one three or one four, and it was, I don't think we've seen I would anything. Tell you, and I, I'll miss some years on this. Um, so Rice had three first rounders in a mm-hmm. year. Um. That was back in the Wade Townsend days. And I don't yeah. remember the other guys, but Philip Humber, I think, was one. Yeah. Yeah. They had, I think they had three first rounders when I was, it would have been my sophomore year. Clemson had Benson and Koch that both mm-hmm. went in the first round. I don't remember how high. But yeah, I think UCLA is probably the closest to have. Okay. It. Let me make Ben's question easy, easier. Give us a hitter and a pitcher that could be your Golden Spikes finalist. I think that makes it easier. Well, I gave you two pitchers. A hitter's tough because obviously we're, we're, what are we, like 15 games in the season right now for most teams. And like we've seen, I think some of the best hitters haven't hit their strides yet. And then you got guys like Wes Clark who started out the season unbelievable, yeah. but have cooled off since then. So hitters is like, this is a tough year to pick a hitter. Okay. Okay. But then you can just look at, you can look at it in terms of, who is the guy that's going to go highest in the draft offense? The hitter. Look at it that way. Well, that's I mean, okay. Okay. Then I'll give you that. So I had I had Florida Miami the first day of the season. So Fabian's going to go way high in center field. I know that. I mean, I think he's got six home runs already. Yeah. <clears throat> um, he's like a super elite defender in center field. Del Castillo is about as impressive hitter is that just from a pure hit tool and power um like del castillo can really hit really really hit and if you can really hit as a catcher i mean then you're even more and i guess we'll figure out whether he can take a level mm-hmm. i mean a catch and throw like the idea of catch and throw which we all talk about a ton but the reality is at the major league level especially if an if you get an automated strike zone anytime in the next few years, the idea of catch and throw is not worth nearly what it's been historically. 
Especially with no stolen bases recently. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. nobody runs anymore. And if the value of framing is goes down because you get an automated strike zone, then, okay, there's the catch piece aside from blocking, which is always going to be there. And the throw piece isn't as important anymore because guys don't run as much. And as for, I think guys like Del Castillo who can catch, <laughs> I think the question is, all right, is he going to be an elite catch and throw guy? Well, does it matter anymore? Do we need it? Yeah. I mean, is, <laughs> is that piece of that position, which in many cases, historically at every level, like how many times you talk a coach, you talk to a coach and they're like, man, he can really catch and throw. All right, cool. Well, if you get to a level to where catch really doesn't matter as much anymore because the strike's automatic and throw doesn't matter as much because guys don't run, make it a hit. And, yeah. and the hit tool is the one that ends up selling a position that really was like a combined super defensive offensive position. And you could find a, a situation in a few years to where if you just can catch, <laughs> just catch the baseball, hit, like you're with a, you're worth a ton of money right now because we don't need the catch and throw piece. We just need you to catch the ball and they throw it to I it. think of Gary Sanchez immediately when I think of in terms of catcher losing his value, a guy like Gary Sanchez that helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that helps a guy. Like, so that's, that's a really interesting point yeah. to think about. Never even thought about that. Um, but no, that is, that is a very, very good point. Um, and then, so the other part of the question was just give us your college world series champion other than Vanderbilt, if that's going to be your answer. No. So I would have said Florida. Yeah. Um, I absolutely would have said Florida. I think a lot of people would have and, said that in the beginning of the year for sure. And I think I may still say it now. Um, but, I, but, with how good those first two guys are and have been. And Vanderbilt's offense is, has been plenty. They can really defend. Mm-hmm. And the hit piece is starting to come. And they obviously, they, I mean, they thumped Oklahoma State the first two games. And then, and then Josh's guys got them game three. Have you guys seen that ballpark, by the way? I haven't been there, but the, I saw, beautiful. I saw some oh, pictures, pictures of the ballpark are insane. Um, you know what's so, crazy? I would take Vanderbilt, which I was just told I couldn't, but I I, I would. Um, just take him. Uh, that's fair. Just take him. Take him. Just if if you you got to show me that you got to show me somebody that can beat those guys because those guys are going to pitch for a long time if they stay healthy. I agree. I agree. One hundred percent. And I was going to say, it's 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 crazy to think about just Tim Corbin asking his lineup every Friday and Saturday, hey, just get three or four runs today. Not even. Get like, I, get mean, I mean, okay, okay. But what I'm saying is, if let's just say Kumar and Leiter just have their off day, which they're going to have, and people are going to freak out when it happens, it's going to happen. And if it doesn't, that's impressive, but it's going to happen. And you, all you have to ask you at that lineup, get three or four runs today. And it's like, that is selling that lineup short of what their potential is in terms of what you're asking them to do. So, yeah. How many how many weekends are we into the season? We this three is our four. fifth weekend coming up. Coming up fifth so weekend. We're four weekends in the season. Those two cats have started eight games. They've given up three runs, not earned runs, <laughs> just total. They've given up three runs in in eight starts. It's, it's insane. That gives you a pretty decent chance to be up two nothing going into Sunday. I agree. So I agree. I will t- I will take my chance now. We'll see what happens in the league, but Oklahoma State's good, man. Mm-hmm. I told State's yeah, really good. I know they're good. I mean, Oklahoma State's got a chance to host a regional, and who knows what happens in the Big Twelve? But um, those guys are they're, they're they're different, and they're different in different ways. But they're they're different. I I'm 
so damn happy that they're in in the college game right now. I agree. Well, uh, no, I, I do. I do agree with that. So, uh, anyways. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, I, I really am appreciative. I'll stay here all night, guys. No, no, no. I hey, see ben, less ben, than a ben. minute left. I would yeah. love to say it. Close you it and do start it, again, it back up. Let's do if it. If you want to do it again, let this thing run out and let's do it again. I would say the, the timing was was not yeah, there. Yeah. But, all right. Yeah. Let's, let's stop the recording. I'm trying to think of the best way to like, kind of blend this in. Hmm. just tell them straight up we have the free zoom version and we just had to restart <laughs> that's a great way i like that actually yeah all right so sorry about that uh we actually have the free zoom version and we get uh we get a little timer that counts down and we ran out of time but we're back here with kyle peterson ready to finish up the interview and we are thankful for him uh you know kind of understanding our situation so going back to the kumar uh and jack lighter one-two punch from vanderbilt is there any team out there that you think can beat them in like a super regional setting or even like a college world series setting right now? Yeah. I mean, I, and that's a cool thing about our sport is like one can be enough. We've seen that and before in the past with teams. hundred percent. And one can, I mean, one swing can be enough. One weird defensive play can be enough. So, yeah. I mean, Arkansas I think all that, knows all about it. One play. <laughs> You know, exactly. Well, yeah, I, I, I saw that one. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of cell phone cameras going off right before that happened. But so can somebody? Yeah. I mean, there's probably 15 of them at least that can do it. And they may be light. I mean, when Coastal won it, I don't think anybody thought that Coastal would have a chance to get through the whole thing. When Stony Brook came through, Baton Rouge is a four seed or like there's no Dude, way that was so much fun to watch them hit right. that oh, was amazing yeah and then i mean the kicker with stony brook was is when you saw him you're like hold it they got some talent good. they got some talent yeah travis jankowski I mean, jankowski's and... a big leaguer and mm-hmm. and there was plenty of other guys in that lineup that i mean it wasn't just a cool little group of college players and and i mean they could play so that's... <laughs> i was gonna say that's the thing when me and ben try to sell so much that's part of who we are is reminding people yeah you got your sec and your ac but there is a lot of damn good ball players that you just don't see ever that never get covered that never get anything and they next thing you know and they're in the big league and someone's going oh wow they went to this school like never heard of them before well hey they were hitting 400 for four years in college just nobody talked about them mm-hmm. i mean Degrom is a shortstop like, i know i mean and there's and there's plenty of other examples of that, but that's the one that sticks out the most. What was my the- official visit on my official visit at Mercer, I went to watch Mercer play Florida Gulf Coast. Get who was pitching for Florida Gulf Coast, and I said, "Holy shit! What am I Chris signing Sale. up for here?" Chris Sale was on the bump, just yeah. slinging it, and I was like, "Who? Who? Who is this guy? This guy is incredible!" And next thing you know, he's in the big leagues, and everyone's saying, "Oh my god, who is this guy?" And I'm like, "He was there." And and listen, I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's kind of the nature of the world, but obviously the games that, that get on TV the most during the course of the season are power conference games. But the reality is, um, is when you get into pro ball, you need a player you can't play. Mm-hmm. It don't matter where you come from. It, you can either play and help the club or you can't. Mm-hmm. You get more advantages. You're looking at one guy that did because of where you're drafted. But at the end of the day, the ability to stick is solely based on whether or not you can play. 
for the sure. entrance, opening it, the door. Is the biggest thing. Out. I got screwed here and I got screwed here. <clears throat> and I remember like AAA was the most interesting place in the world because everybody's checking the major league box score every year, every day to see who did bad, who did good, who got hurt, all the other things. And God, people would bitch so much. And I remember thinking at the same time, I'm like, dudes, if you go off, you're, you got a job. Yeah, it's all it takes. It's <laughs> all it if, takes. If you hit 260 in AAA, or if you got a four, you leave it up to somebody else to make the decision about you. It's that simple. Like if you're better than everyone else in sports, rarely, like way rarely, is there a chance that you're not going to get a chance to go to the highest level and do it. And I think that's one of the best things about sports is plenty of people will complain about, I didn't get a chance. I ain't get a chance. The reality is if you're better than everybody else, like clearly better than everybody else, you're going to get a chance that, that, and those that say that wasn't the case, I would challenge them every time. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite people on Twitter are the ones that were like, I would have made it to the major leagues, but my high school coach didn't like me or I got hurt or, (laughs) and I'm just like, yeah. okay. All right. Let me ask you this. And we're on this topic. How big, I think, I think it's not talked about enough, but how big is the draft being shrunk for the college game in terms of the quality of play? I think it's enormous. Yeah, I agree. And I think the cool thing is it goes all, I mean, it goes through every level of, of college baseball. I mean, obviously, you know, if you get five rounds, that means less high school guys, which means significantly more go to college. And there's more at the D1 level, don't get me wrong, but there's more at every level. And AIA, JUCO too. Yeah, I, I would. And, and I don't, you know, I don't follow the JUCO level incredibly close, but I would guess that the JUCO level of baseball this year is about as good as you're ever going to get. I would 100% agree with that. And because, I mean, think about it. Like, all these guys that, that maybe had a chance to go D1 or had signed D1, they're like, well, I was going to sign in the sixth, but I didn't get popped. So I'm going to I'm gonna go to JUCO for a year because I know next year is probably not going to be a five-year draft or a five-round draft, which it sounds like it's, I don't know, I mean, 10 minimum, hopefully 20. Yeah, 20 hopefully. feels like the right number. To I me. think 20 is the right number, too. Um, and so it just it benefits – the amateur side <clears throat> all the way down through. And I think the other thing that's happened that really has changed in, I would say the last, I mean, 10 years for sure, but probably the last five is there was this, I, I think, I mean, way unnecessary pissing match between pro ball and college ball about who develops guys the most. And there's no, there's no absolute answer to that. Like there's great coaches at, at both places and it's okay to say both the reality is is if you come out of the college side you're if if you can play you're going to get there quicker mm-hmm. which makes sense because you've played you're against a higher level of competition yeah. you've been on your own and you're i mean the if the investment is high they want to push you fast if they possibly can whereas it's looked at differently for the high school guys um so i think for for the college game, yes, this is like super deep and it's going to be until this whole process kind of weeds itself out over the next Reset. three or four years, whatever it is. Um, but I also think that what it's going to do is for these kids that get drafted, it also gets them to the major league level or as high as they're going to go quicker than ever, especially now because the minor leagues are getting hammered. Yeah, and there's minor, minor getting... leaguers, mm-hmm. which means the guys that get drafted, 
you're going to give them a chance. I mean, if you give them money, you're, they're going to get the opportunity to get in and, and prove people right or wrong quicker than the other guys that have been there for a few years. Yeah, because a lot of people forget that they just cut, what was it, like 40 minor league teams across or maybe oh, even more, yeah. maybe more. And so you're getting less teams for minor, minor leaguers to go to, plus you're loading up the college ranks. So you're right. The, the process to getting to where you're going to be, like where you're going to max out at, is going to happen a lot quicker nowadays. You know, and either you're going to play or you're not going to play. There's no waiting is, around. Yeah, and this isn't even relevant to college baseball, but all the indie leagues are now partners with the big league. And for, I mean, even when I came out of college and I w- when you think of indie ball, you are so frowned upon. It has such a negative impression on you. You're like, oh, indie ball, like I'm going to play indie ball. Like it sounds awful, but I really wonder like what's going to happen in the next 10 years because indie ball, they have no regulation to rule. The big league, the big league, that's your, where your million dollar contracts are. But I wonder what's going to happen in terms of guys who are coming out of high school and maybe they don't want to go to college, but they, nobody yeah. drive. They're just going to go straight to indie ball. And I wonder how that's going to transform because there's so well, many moving parts. It makes sense because I don't remember if he did it or not. I feel like there was a kid a few years ago. Um, God, I don't remember his name. It's like, like LaMelo ball kind of idea. What's that? It's like what happened with LaMelo ball where he just didn't go to college. Similar, but, but it happened in baseball to where a kid went to Japan. And oh, oh, I think it was oh, Japan. Yeah, I remember Stevens. Is that right? Um, he would with he the Miss. He, I think he would put go to Mississippi State. Yeah, and I I could I'm probably butchering the name, but that idea of okay, well, I mean maybe you're not quite ready, but and the economic argument made all the sense in the world because if you go, I guess I don't know the indie ball rules, but if you go foreign and you sign a deal with any Japanese team or Korean team or wherever it is, you get paid right away. Theoretically, when you come back, you're a free agent. Mm-hmm. So it, you don't have six years to be arbitration eligible. Like you can go negotiate whatever deal you want. Oh, yep. I think it was I think it was Scott that did the deal, and and Boris was my agent when I played. Um, which he, he didn't necessarily get the return he thought he was. Gonna get, <laughs> but, um, the but the idea is. If you can, like you're trying to fast forward that clock, if you can really play to when you can really get paid and you're paid on a market-based number instead of a, here's the rules-based number. And dude, I think you're right. Like if if you're that level, why wouldn't you look at that? I mean, yeah. if you're going to get paid 8 million bucks, sign a piece of paper, then yeah, that's a little bit different deal. Or, or, but, or go sit in the classroom until five o'clock and then go get on a baseball field or a bus and go play three games somewhere. Yeah, it's there will be more kids will look at that, and rightfully so, they should. I mean, it's a, so it's, I, it's their life, it's their economic life, and, and you all only, look at that. To where if I can go sign a three year deal in Japan for four or five million bucks, whatever the number is, make your number up. But yeah, when I get done with that, I've got the freedom to go wherever I want, or five years or whatever it is. Why, <laughs> why the hell wouldn't you do that? Because the competition level clearly has been enough that it translates to, to the major league level. I mean, look at the number of Japanese pitchers and, and position players, but particularly pitchers that have come back to the States and signed massive deals. I, I mean, if I'm a dad and that's my kid, you look at it and go, yeah, prime, we at least need to look at that. And I think they should. And it, it then it goes back on the major league side to look at it and go, okay, 
do you want to combat that? Or are you okay with that level of the system? It in some way says, okay, we got four or five years to figure out whether that kid was really that good. Yep. So we'll pay, I'll pay a ton of money if you're really good. But does it avoid me paying $5 million on the front end to have you sit in the minor leagues for three or four years and really see if you're ever going to help us at the level that it, it really makes a difference? It's not a bad economic argument. Yeah, so that's what I was going to end that topic with. College baseball is going to realize the potential of how much this game can grow in the next three, four years. And they're going to have a big decision to make to prevent and keep the keep the trajectory going up because they're going to see, oh my God, we have a we're on a we're sitting on a gold mine of entertainment because people when you, with the Twitter video, then you. PN3, yeah. people are seeing these videos and they're like, oh my God, where have I been? This is awesome. So in three years from now, I, I wonder what college baseball do NCAA to keep it going. Cause they're going to, it's going to hit a wall where they're going to have to make a decision. So here's what that's, that's actually, I, I love that point. Okay. So Rob Friedman, I mean, two years ago when, when Ninja started kind of blowing up yeah, and I'm a total baseball geek. And so when I saw the overlays and that this looks that way and everything else, honestly, I just like, I found him on Google and figured out a way to, to find his phone number. And Rob didn't know me and I didn't know Rob and, and just called him and said, Hey, I, I think what you do is really cool. And I, I don't know how it can figure into anything we're doing at D one, potentially the ESPN. I called our guys ESPN. I'm like, I, I like if, if you, there's very few things on TV that visually translate in four seconds. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to throw show differences, but yet what Rob had the ability to do is if you didn't know baseball, like you had never seen the game in your life, but I show you two different pitches that go two different ways from the same origin. origin. That, that piece of it, you're like, hold it. Like, that's really cool. That, like that, that looks really hard to do. Like how do these hitters hit that? Hard to how hit. hard it is to hit that. <laughs> yeah. And so it's that. And the, I mean, you know, the Cespedes kids who, uh, kids, I shouldn't say that, Cespedes guys who I love, Jake and Jordan are a blast. And the way that they present things, and, and Carabas, who I really, I, honestly, I don't know at all. But what I've seen from Jared and from the Cespedes guys, and more from Rob, but he started doing more a few years ago, is more of an attention to the college game. And, I mean, you guys are this age group. Like, I'm, I'm not. I don't – this is my hairline. Like, I, I don't – my age group is a little bit different. But the, the more social attention that we get to the college game, the better and the more people that pay attention to it, the more that they realize that it's not a bunting competition anymore – like these dudes can really play. And this is something that that I would hope you pay attention to because yeah, at its top level, these are the guys that are the next stars of the major leagues. But that can't be the only driver. Like it's just, it's a fun product to watch, especially the way that the bats and the ball and everything is set up right mm-hmm. now. It's a it's a pretty healthy game right now. The the best way that I can explain to college baseball fans and even people that maybe don't even know the game that well, but this is the highest level of baseball that it still actually means something as a team sport. Because once you get into the minor leagues, 
sure they're competing for Pacific Coast League championships and Appalachian League championships, but they don't have the same bond and the same drive that these Division One kids are going for, winning conference championships, trying to make a regional, just trying to get on TV, making a super regional and making it to Omaha. This the reason why you see such excitement out of the kids in the dugouts and the the passion that these kids bring is because like it means something and it's the highest level of baseball with the highest reward to actually win a game. You know, until you get to the major league level when you're facing like uh, you know 162 games in 180 days trying to win a World Series. So there's yeah. that gap that like probably four level gap where you have Division One college baseball trying to compete for a national championship on ESPN and then you go. No single A, no double A, no triple A coverage, really. And then you have Major League Baseball. So that's where the, the disconnect is. That I, don't, I don't think a lot of people realize that this actually means something to these kids. Yeah, I mean, that's why the thing, that's why football and base basketball are so big. It, you're starting your favorite player from Kentucky is in March Madness, whatever, playing. The very next year, he is your starting point guard for the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah. He is. You're still watching him on TV. Baseball, they disappear and mm-hmm. fans lose interest. They forget. And I think back to what you were saying, if guys are going to get to the big leagues faster, it's only going to help the college game because now they're going to want to watch their favorite player, their favorite school. And then who's going to draft their favorite player? Mm-hmm. And you get to see them a year or two years after instead of the four or five year route. And it just kills the momentum. Yeah, I'll tell you the other thing, too. When I signed, I went to Ogden, Utah. And that was our, it was our rookie ball team. And the first game, I don't know where we're playing, but the first game I wasn't pitching and the game starts and I'm standing in the dugout and our manager comes to me, probably a guy or two in or whatever it is. He's like, what are you doing? Well, I, I mean, we stand for the game. <laughs> that, that's, and he looked at me, he's like, well, we don't do that here. It's completely. Completely different than what you're used to. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of this aha moment to where you're like, oh, it's not about all of us anymore. And you got your buddies, and but the reality is when you get to that point, I guess you are in college to some extent, like everybody's competing to play, but when you get into pro ball, you're competing to get to the next level. Trying to get that paycheck higher. your roommate. Mm -hmm. You know what I always call it? They're your hotel buddy. Because you're friends with them at the hotel, but when you get to the ballpark, you're either competing. Mm-hmm. And it sucks. I mean, it's it's a life reality. They're, they're, I mean, jobs are the same way and everything else to some extent. But um, I just remember realizing at that point, I'm like, shit, this is different. I mean, I, and then you realize it, like, when you get your ass handed to you, not personally, but when the team gets beat and... <laughs> I mean, the reaction in the clubhouse is the same as it was as if you won 20 to 1. Yeah. Where's the cooler? Where's the beer? It's, and I'm going to take a shower and let's go eat. We just got our ass kicked 15 nothing. It's, it's also understandable. I mean, because, the, I mean, there's more games and the grind of it, like, and it's, I mean, it's way oversaid. But the reality is, is in college at most places, and I'm sure you guys are the same way, you play for the name on the front of your jersey. thousand percent. You take pride in the school. Hundred percent, yeah, and and I mean, you love your guys, and that's why you're doing it. And and when you when you get into a situation to where that isn't necessarily the same, it is 
it's a different game. It's just a different game because, man, when, when I mean, when you can just like throw yourself on a bus in front of a bus for the guys that you're playing with, there's a different level of compete as opposed to shit. It's just me. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I will fully admit that I became, it was different for me in Provo. It was very different for me in Provo. Uh, and I was not, I wasn't ready for that piece of it. Yeah. I mean, like I told you before we started the show is the, when guys, people are like I said earlier, I hate saying it and you tell you told me not to, but I hate saying that watching guys make an error in the ninth inning and changes the whole game is so much more exciting to watch than the guy just makes this routine six four three double play. We're going to the tenth inning. Someone's got to get a hit of a ball in the gap rather than a throw like Gonzaga just won a series on TCU throwing a ball away with bases loaded in extra inning, three runs right there. That is more exciting to see on a Twitter video. Holy shit, Gonzaga just won the series. Like you know, and it's and it's it's almost like some bad play or inconsistent play is more exciting to watch than your prototypical. Pro Bowl, and that's what I hope people kind of capitalize on that and continue to build and understand that it's, a, it's the same game, but it's so different. Well, but I mean, here's the thing about that that I think is the best part is it's human. Like, I mean, if you see Lindor make a play in the hole and go backhand and jump in the air and make a throw to first, it's automatic. That's not human, and that's also the reason that you watch it is the, I mean, so many times, most times, the draw to watching sports on TV, or at least it is for me, is watching things that I know I can't do. And I love the competition component of it, but I also, like, I love watching the guy that can dunk out of nowhere and the guy that can, whatever it is. Like, I mean, it's a long list of things, but that's what people are drawn to is I can't do that. And I wish I could do that, which is why I want to watch it. But I can't do it. Um, there's also a human component to watching a game to where someone does something that at least you can convince yourself that you could do. And that's when it kind of gets back to everybody else that goes, well, yeah, I mean, if they hit a ground ball to me, I might drop it. <laughs> and it may be the difference between what happens in the game, you know, and, and that, that, that is – it's the part that, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is, is the kids that play at that level that aren't going to be names that you hear at the major league level, but yet can have a massive impact as to what happens at the collegiate level and can have a massive impact on their teammates and their school and their fan base and whatever else it is. That's a pretty good legacy to live in life. I mean, who the hell cares, you know? It's, it's that, those are my favorite memories. And I was fortunate to go a little bit further than that, but the reality is that's why this college world series thing is behind me is that those are my favorite memories is what happened at that time during my life. And that's so, that's so crazy brought up that point. A former teammate of mine, I'm sure you think you remember him, Tommy Mendonca from Fresno State. So I played indie ball with him. He was a hero, Ben. I don't know if you remember him. Him. I was in he, the dugout. He hit a home run. It hit the top of the wall in right field. <laughs> yeah, I remember and that. He was a Fresno State Omaha legend. And yeah. when he went back home, everybody in Fresno knew who he was. But as he told me, he was, dude, one of the greatest clubhouse guys, one of the greatest 
nicest people I've ever met. He brought me, he would give me a six pack. I'm a, I'm a freaking second year rookie at the time. And he's an old vet. He was like, Hey man, you want beer? I'm going to the gas station. And I'm like, looking at him like, this is, you're not supposed to offer me that. But <laughs> sure, man, I'll take it. And he was talking about how in pro ball, he, he just missed the Fresno state day. He talked about it all the time. And he was in pro ball. He was just another six foot two left-handed yeah. hitter first baseman. There's 30 of them. You mm-hmm. know, and he and it's, it's, it's exactly what you were talking about it missing that camaraderie of being a hero which I mean sadly like that's the way life works and that's okay yeah, of course I mean that's the way life advances and that's the way people get better and 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 the I, I mean I think I, I don't know if I said it before we were on air before like when I got released I so that morning um, I don't know. I think it was Monday, but I had had three shoulder surgeries and I come back from a few other things. And I was throwing 81 miles an hour. And like, if you just step back and looked at it, you're like, what the hell are you doing? But um, they hadn't told me to leave yet. And I called my dad because I knew Monday was Neil Monday day. And I called my dad when I pulled into the parking lot at, at the Brewers spring training complex. Um, and I was on a minor league side. And I could walk you to the parking spot today. And we had this discussion about all of the things that had happened in our kind of our baseball life. And mm-hmm. I, I called him because I said, Dad, I think I'm going to get released when I walk in the door. And there was a guy at the front that had the clipboard. And if you were on the clipboard, then you had to go talk to the whoever ran the minor leagues and everything else because they weren't going to give you mill money for the whole week if you weren't going to stay there. And sure as shit, <clears throat> walk in the front door and the clipboard guy says, you got to go see Reed. I don't remember his last name, but whoever the guy that ran the minor leagues was, and you knew why you were going there. Um, but it ends like for everybody <laughs> at some point, because in order for us to love the Trouts and the whoever else it is, it has to be the best guys there. And it doesn't matter if you're in sales or if you're in marketing or whatever you do in life like that, I mean, that, that ladder is the exact same ladder and you may still have a job somewhere, but it doesn't mean you can do exactly what you want to do. And the reality of that really sucks sometimes. And it really sucked that day. And when they released me, I didn't even want to look at my buddies. I went out in the car and I friggin' bawled for about 10 minutes. And I waited until everybody went out to the field and I packed my bag and I went and said goodbye to a few trainers and I got in a car and I left. And I called Jim Henry, who at the time, <clears throat> Jim was the GM of the Cubs and said, Hey, I, I think I, cause I mean, the competitive piece is still there. And I'm like, Jim, I think I can still pitch. And he said, all right, well, let me call a few of our guys. I'll call you back. And he called me back the next day. And he's like, Hey man, like the reports are not good. And he started telling me about the reports. And as he told me about the reports, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> actually true. <laughs> Can't really argue with anything you say. And it, it just, it, it's, it's the sad reality of sports and competition, but it's also the thing that makes it why we all want to watch. Exactly. And you're right. It does end for everybody. And like, lucky for you, I mean, you're still a part of this great game and have been like a monumental figure in college baseball. I've always wondered this just because I knew you had a Stanford background and obviously you can tell like how intellectual you are. Have you ever thought about making a jump to like 
I don't know, like a major league front office one day, someone that, you know, can de- not develop, but, you know, look at a college kid and say, you know, he's either got it or he doesn't, you know, help him with draft, draft prospects, anything like that interest you? Interest? Sure. Yeah. hundred <clears throat> percent. I got a 16 year old, a 14 year old and 12 year old. And, you know, this past year we weren't doing games. Now I'm doing games from home. Um, for the better part of, well, really for all of their lives, um, for five months out of the year, I haven't been here a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reality in pro ball is you're definitely not there a lot. And is there a draw? Sure. There's a huge draw. Um, there's more of a draw when they're in college. To where you can I've gone. had hopefully a little bit more of an impact on them than I've had over the last 15 years. Um, this year, the last 12 months, while it's been, there's been a ton of, of negatives and challenges, the positives are I've, I've seen them more than I've ever seen them before. So, awesome. yeah, I mean, I, I think, and, you know, I mean, you talk to organizations every year about draft kids and what do you think of this and what do you think of that and it's in a generally a very informal way but um yes i mean the ideal would be i'd love to be a gm but now's not the time you gotta be a dad first now i understand that yeah i mean you can do both and it's not to say that you can't do both um it just for now i i mean Selfishly, I really like my life mm-hmm. and I'm good with it the way that it is. I mean, I, I'll sit here tomorrow night and call Florida, Florida State from my house and the <laughs> dog will probably run in at some point during the game and that's okay. Like yeah. life's, life's pretty good right now. Your wife um, kind of bring you some dinner while you're calling the game or whatever you need. Or... <laughs> that's a pretty we'll good setup. about that. <laughs> No, but that's, that's awesome. And uh, so, I mean, I think this has been a great interview so far. Obviously we want to get you back on the show at some point during the season because we're, yeah. we we're recording three episodes a week and we need to get you on one of our weekend series pick em episodes where we can run down five oh, or good. six of the biggest weekends. Just so everybody can hate me more. That's well, perfect. listen, you will not have a worse weekend than what Dimitri just had. He went 0 and 5 and we had we, I thought we I thought we were picking the losers of every game. Yeah, he went 0 and 5 series. after uh, just talking a bunch of a bunch of shit to me the week before. Uh, I have like a four game lead on him. We've had like I guess celebrity guest pickers you can call them like former college guys are playing pro ball. Uh, Colin Thoreau from Oklahoma State back in 2016 yeah. was our guest picker. He went 1 and 4. So, you know, you don't have very high. He had to wear the, did you see the thing on Twitter yeah. today? He had to wear the bandy gear today. Yeah, yeah. he told us, Kemp, Kemp was supposed to get on the show with us too, but he has something to do that night when we yeah. were going to record. So, um, um, but yeah, no, they were. They, he was a fun guest. We thought we were going to get him and Tony Kemp, but we got to get you back on for a weekend series pick em episode because uh, you're pr- pretty much going to dominate us, we would think. No, <laughs> no. No, I mean, the, the magic of television is a lot of times you just make stuff up. So yep. I'm happy to come on, but it doesn't mean it's going to be right. For sure. And uh, But anyways, I mean, I thought this has been a great episode. If you ever need anything from us, just let us know. We'll be, uh, we'll be on the social media pretty much all year. I mean, I would say every day for the rest of the year. And uh, we're trying to grow this great game of college baseball. That's our Good. main goal. But, we both are, boys. I, I enjoyed it. 
thanks yeah. for extending the <laughs> no thank you for extending, for extending the zoom <laughs> and if if there's a cost associated with that just send it attention kendall rogers <laughs> <laughs> we got to get kendall back on the show too maybe a little debate between he was, he kendall. was awesome too kendall i i i mean i don't know if you listened or anything but i told I, kendall to me when i was playing with the twitter guy and he was small at the time he was just the head of college baseball but he was just twitter you didn't have D1 baseball. He was just with perfect game, just a little Twitter guy. And then seeing the Kendall on TV with a personality and a character, I was like, I actually like this guy because I used to like, I used to despise him. I thought he was just <laughs> a loser college baseball guy. I, I told him and he and he was like, well, why do I do those write-ups on you then for this? <laughs> I was like, well, you know what? I'm sorry. Yeah. Kendall Rogers He's definitely surprised me. He's the best. He really is. I mean, one of my favorite guys in the world now, so. Uh, you guys are doing it right over at D1 Baseball, and obviously we love listening to you call games on ESPN. I mean, I, I had goosebumps the first five minutes of this interview just talking to you, so that was cool. But I'll let you go get some dinner tonight, hang out with your family, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stay connected, all right? I'm here. You know where to find me. Boys, I really enjoyed it, so thanks, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.